You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range, and A-Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, their ZDX is the most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Hello and welcome to the Two Robbies podcast with me, Robbie Musto, and him, Robbie Earl. And this Robbie Earl is a special, it's a special show, mm -hmm. it's a special uh, podcast. We've got a, a very special guest with us right now. Tab Ramos, the current uh, men's national team U20 head coach is with us right now. And a few kind of uh, headlines from his resume. He played in three World Cups for the United States, 1990, 94 and 98. He was a 1990 US Soccer Athlete of the Year. First ever player to sign with Major League Soccer and inducted into the US Soccer Hall of Fame in 2005. So, fantastic tab that you've joined the two Robbies and <laughs> a round of applause from Robbie Hill. Standing round of applause. <laughs> which is, yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. It's really nice Absolutely. to meet you for the first time and to get a sense of your feelings of U.S. soccer, youth development. We're going to touch on Christian Pulisic and how he's settling in the, the Premier League and the future of the men's team and a couple of special players that have recently retired. We'll get your thoughts right at the end of the show, Tab. So, Robbie Earl, I'm going to start mm. off, Tab, with just yeah. some, some thoughts on youth development in the U.S. right now. Um, yeah. Of course, you're the manager of the U20 side, so and you've been for a little while now. Give us... Before we get to the U20s, just give us a sense of development in this country, how it's going, how it's improved, how it's changing, and some of the philosophies that are in place now to develop great players for the future. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's really a, pl a pleasure to be on with both of you guys, uh, and especially with you, Robbie, here that I... I've been told by Pierre that you're Robbie number two. So I'm, <laughs> I knew he was so Robbie number two. He's talking about I'm you, Robbie. Excited. He's talking Lovely about time. you, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, you know, development in this country is 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 growing. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough that uh, we have MLS here, a uh, league that we didn't have 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and that all MLS teams not only have been building their own stadiums, but now are investing in facilities which provide great environments for our players to develop in, and they're actually putting their money there. Uh, so I think we're at the best point we've ever been in this country in terms of youth development. Mm. Tab, sorry, Rob, just yep. to jump in. In, in terms of, of American youth development uh, and coaching young kids and bringing them through, we can, Robbie and I both both played obviously in England. We can look at Europe as a model that we use, and we shouldn't always contrast the two and say, you know, this is happening there and it's got to happen here. But having come to the country, it's a big country. There's lots of different bodies who who are associated with it. Is is are we at a stage now where I would call the thing being joined up? Is there a clear pathway for a young player now starting out in the game at the very young level? Is that pathway there to make it through into MLS and beyond, if that's the case. Because I, I would say when I first came to the country, maybe, what, maybe 10 years ago, I wasn't sure that that was always in place. Well, things are improving. It's, it's hard to say that there's a perfect pathway for every player. So, mm. in other words, sometimes uh, on the U.S. soccer side, uh, we would get blamed if there's a player in the park somewhere playing in an adult league that we didn't identify. 
Uh, the country's just too big for that, for yeah. us to be in every single place. I think at the end of the day, that may fall more on the professional club closest to the area to identify the players and scout players and, and try to get to those players that are in the park that no one has seen yet. And then eventually yeah. when those players do well, they have the pathway to come to the national team and, and do well with the national team. So um, the country's too big. I, you know, I'm, I'm born in Uruguay, grew up in Uruguay the, the first 12 years of my life. Uh, and Uruguay being barely the size of what New Jersey, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's very, uh, very, very small. So it's it's a lot easier. But you know, U.S. now, um, as big as it is, I think we're still long ways away from having the perfect uh, pathway for a player. Tab, I'm pretty sure that you learned the game as a kid on the streets or on crappy fields, probably in neighborhoods that, that we did in England as well. Is that? an avenue where the U.S. is struggling to, to, to develop or to identify or to make available areas where kids in inner cities can play and, be, and have the opportunity to get spotted from there? Yeah, I mean, we, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of room to grow. You know, at the same time, you know, we have to, we have to remember that when you talk about England or you talk about Uruguay, uh, that's the number one sport. That's mm. what people want to play. Uh, and so every child growing up, that's a sport. You know, we're 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 still in a country now where it's you know it it would it would be arguable if if we if we say we're in the top four or five sports in the country. I mean, you could say football, mm. baseball, basketball, even but, but, hockey. Wouldn't more kids uh, play it, though if there was if there was fields and somewhere to play in inner cities where. Like maybe they're shooting hoops instead. Likely they they could. I, I just I don't think I don't think socially we're there yet. Mm. Uh, I think we're we're close. I think maybe we're a generation away um, because now uh, we have a phenomenon going on in this country that's never been here before, and that is you know when you turn on the television uh, you can find games. There's always soccer going on, and I think that's something that hadn't happened before. We also have a professional league with 24 teams, 25 teams. Um, that's something that didn't happen before. And we also have in most, uh, in just about every big city in the country, we have professional teams that are putting money into youth development, and we didn't have that either. But um, I, I think it's going to take a while. Mm. Do you think that – do you think – Tarvin, I know this is, is, is a subject that's been debated long and hard and there's no, there's no set answers, but do you think that the, the money that's involved now, the, the expense to play soccer, is refusing the opportunity to some? We, you've talked about your upbringing. Robbie and I are the same, where you'd, you'd, you'd be out on a field, you know, you'd be playing. If you were playing in a club setup, it would be a couple of pounds for us at the time, maybe, you know, to, to play. It, it, was ve- it, was, it was a working man's sport in, in Europe, and plenty of players came through and went on to have great careers. Is there a problem with the the amount the cost of playing football at this level? Uh, in in I think in certain instances it is. Um, it, it is not easy for you know for people to pay to play. At the same time, I you know I've been in this country since I'm 12 years old, and I've never run into a player that has been refused a club position. A good player who's mm. been refused a club position because they couldn't pay uh the problem is obviously if you're an average player at 8 10 12 years old well you get the opportunities if you can't afford them and Mm -hmm. the answer is still no um at the end of the day you have to you know any club has to pay their coaches and that money has to come from somewhere and i think you know even in england if you look at youth development in england unless you're you're signing and you're you're a 
good player when you're young and you get an opportunity to sign with a professional club, uh, you still, in a lot of instances, you still have to pay to play. Uh, so that that's happening everywhere in the world. Mm. Just on the on the academies, so. I think we've seen it with England. We've seen it with with German national team. When the national team's done badly, there's been extra focus from the federation, the, the country's federation, to to influence uh, philosophy into the clubs. Like I don't know what money into to their academies. Does the U does U.S. soccer influence or or give kind of some hint on philosophy? on MLS teams and all the academies around the country is like a bit of a blueprint, a bit of a kind of a guidelines of how they would like to see players developed. I know, of course, each club will have their own philosophies, but is there or should there be more direction from US soccer to the academies to say, this is, is best practice in terms of developing uh, developing good technical players, there in there has been there has been a lot of information given uh, from U.S. soccer from the moment that the the U.S. soccer development academy started uh, around 2007 2008. Uh, there was visits to clubs, uh, you know, weekly at times, monthly at times, uh, to provide a guideline, to provide a pathway, mm. to provide a way to play and a way to teach, and how many days to train. All of those things right. were spelled out. Uh, but I think it's like you say. At the end of the day, I think. Uh, all the clubs will have their culture. You know, not a, a club in a club in Michigan will never be like a club in Dallas. A club in New Jersey will never be like a club in Southern California. It's just different people, just like it is in England, just like it is in Spain. You would never take a player from Bilbao, Spain, and a player from Seville, Spain, and consider them the same type of player. It's just yeah. a different type of people. And I think in this country, because it's so big, we have many more different types of people. Um, but U.S. soccer has done, I think, overall in the last 12, 13 years, a pretty good job of getting the message out. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, and you know, it's great to hear, uh, Tab, that, that that work is going on. I just wonder, as we, as we step up and, and we get players going to into the college system, how do you, how do you view that? And, and how can the U.S. That, – that's four years of somebody's career generally, maybe at the age of 18 or 19 through till 22, 23. So, so important years, Rob, aren't they? But yeah. We they, were those first are, team players we always at believe 18. Those, those are your formative God, years. Incredible. That's where you're building all your, your, your education, your technical ability, your growth, your, your game understanding. How can, how, can the, how can U.S. soccer, how can American football get more benefit from those four years when a player goes to college and at 22 or 23 is only just really starting his professional career? Well, I mean, it's a great question, and that's the one question that likely doesn't have a proper answer yet. Uh, that's the age group where we struggle. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I can tell you is I've been coaching the U-20 national team now for the last four cycles. On my yeah. first cycle, we had uh, probably about uh, between a quarter and a half of the team was college players when we went to the World Cup. Uh, in this last World Cup that we just went to, uh, that was in Poland in June, out of the 50-man roster that I turned into FIFA a month and a half before the World Cup, there was yeah. only one college player on that list and no college players at the World Cup uh, for the first time. And so things are changing. The college game mm -hmm. is becoming, has become less and less important. But there's no question that if there's a way to fit that in, uh, yeah. that we should try to find that way. But that's really not up to us but the NCAA. Just to follow on, Robert, I'm going to follow on that question. Yeah. What have you noticed over the last whatever years in terms of how it's improving and how players are coming to you in a different way? Is it... it, it, it I don't know. Has it changed? Is it changing? Is it making for better players reaching your U20? 
it has changed so much and it's hard for me to sometimes you know come in a show and say that because basically because our senior team failed to qualify to the world cup and that seemed to be the moment when everyone paid attention to the national teams and said well if the senior team didn't qualify to the World Cup, it must be the youth system that's not working. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and that wasn't necessarily no. the case. No. Um, you know, if you look at what's happened over the last, in the last three World Cups our U20s attended, we ended in the quarterfinals. We went to the final eight in the last three World Cups. No other country in the world has done that. Um, we won the last two CONCACAF championships. Um, we are defending champions now of the last two CONCACAF championships. I know it's CONCACAF, but we had never done that before. We had never won one championship. Now we're defending champions of the last two. So I've seen so much improvement, not just on results, um, but on players. You know, when I started with the U20s back in 2011, um, you know, I had a difficult time finding players who could keep possession, players who wanted the ball. Mm. Uh, now I can literally find hundreds That's of right. midfielders who can keep right. the ball right. and play possession. Now the next step is I have to convince those players when they come to me that, hey, it's nice that you can hold possession. It's nice that you can play from side to side, but you have to make a difference in the final third. Can you make a difference with your possession? And so now we're a lot more demanding at that level. Mm. Tab, I just wonder, we talk about the college system, if, if a young American player, and we've seen a few do that now, going into Europe, how, do you find that that's beneficial to, to your system? Are those players coming back any different? Is that something you approve of? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that, you know, I'm highly supportive of, you know, all the owners in MLS are spending all the money on youth development here. Uh, and I will always be supportive of that. At the same time, I do have to talk about the benefit of going to Europe because the young player that goes to Europe is participating 11 months out of the year. Uh, here, if you see the way our league operates at the particular moment, uh, the league starts in March and it ends practically at beginning of November. Uh, yeah. The young players are usually playing, young players that play on professional teams are usually playing for around the same amount of time, whether they play in MLS or whether they play in USL. And as you know, uh, for young players, they need a lot more they games. Time, they need yeah. a lot more time. And those yeah. players are getting that time in Europe. Mm. Rob, does that take us nicely on to a player that did go um, to Europe, uh, Borussia Dortmund? Which player would that be then, Mr. Well, he's a player that's on everybody's lips at the moment. <laughs> um, and I think it's a nice kind of segue into yeah. something a little different. We move the conversation forward into Christian Pulisic. Um, of course, now he's moved to Chelsea in the Premier League. And, and me and Robbie Earl, of course, get to, to see him and talk about him most weekends. First of all, you've done it. You went to Spain to play there um, as a young player. Just give us a little bit, or our listeners, a little bit of insight into what it's like going to a different country as a young player and settling in and making an impact in a new club. Well, it's extremely difficult. Um, I think no matter what country you go into, you need that time to settle in. You know, ideally, um, I, if somebody pays a big price for you, that, that would normally mean that you can come in and just, you know, wave the m magic wand and all of a sudden everything is great again. Mm. Um, but the fact is, all players need time and there's very few that adapt really fast to being in a brand new league and a brand new environment, playing with brand new teammates. And that's, that's at every level. Uh, so if that gets magnified with the fact that now you're a young player and that gets magnified by the fact that now you play for a club uh, that has huge expectations, um, that becomes a very difficult task. Tab, you, you worked with Christian, you'd know him best. I just wonder in terms of 
What kind of personality is he? What, what kind of lad are we talking about? Is, is he is he a bit of a joker in the dressing room? Is, is he quite loud? Is he quite introverted? We we uh, had a moment with him at Chelsea, and and Cal Martino, our, our other colleague, uh, did an interview with him. Very uh, respectful. Who's that? Who's Carl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't want to drop that name. Can you edit that out, Ferguson? Please edit that name out. I made yeah. a huge mistake there. Yeah, yeah. But there was a there was a certain long-haired, now short-haired ex-player okay. who interviewed him. Um, yeah. He was very respectful, but but almost seemed a little bit introvert to me. Yeah, he and and, and he is. And uh, but that doesn't take any way anything away from from what he can do on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, I was there um, with the senior national team. I was assistant coach to Jurgen Klinsmann when Jurgen brought brought him up uh, to the senior team for the for the first time. Uh, and immediately, you're impressed by by the type of balance that he has on the ball, by the type of strength that he has when he has the ball. Because as you know, strength doesn't come from just being a big player, yeah. but it comes from balancing your body the proper way and be able to ride tackles and all that type of stuff. And he has all that, and he has had all that since he's 16, 17 years old. Uh, so he has he's really impressive. You know, in the locker room, he is a little bit more. Um, I guess an introvert, you would say, yeah. um, but he's a he's a great kid and he works very hard and he's good to to his teammates and his teammates are good to him back. Just watching him tab in the, <clears throat> with the U.S. team uh, through through good times and some bad times, it looked to me like he had a big heart and I think that's so important to a player where he cares about it. He ran himself into the ground. He tried to make things happen. And in terms of an attribute, to have a big heart and to care about something that he, he looks obviously that he does is going gonna, is gonna to help him in his career. Have you found that with him? Is he, is he got a bigger character, I guess a stronger character than people maybe think when they see him a little quiet and a little timid? Yeah, I think he does. I mean, there's a picture for me that's still that's still with me that I think will be with me forever about him, and that's when the team didn't qualify yeah. to the World Cup and him, you know, sort of sitting on the field crying, you know, for not making it. And I was thinking at that moment, wow, this is this is just uh, this is just something that's going to eventually take him to the next level because you'll always remember this moment, and he will never want to live this moment again. Um, I, I do think that sometimes the expectations are too much, too fast. Uh, and by from, that, from from the U.S. From both, fans I think both. I think both in the U.S. And, and certainly overseas, but 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 definitely in the U.S. as well. Because you know he is a great player, and he just needs time. Uh, we have to remember that he's still young, uh, and players you know sort of mature at that level at different times. I think he can do all of the things that people expect from him. I just think he needs a little bit more time. Tab, Robbie also and I um, had this discussion a couple of weeks ago on, on, a, on our podcast and, and, and we were debating, would it be the right move maybe uh, in the January window to, to let Christian go out on loan and go and play at another club, a club where you, you'll get good coaching like a, a Bournemouth or, or a West, West Ham, Ham or, or a Southampton maybe, good footballing team where he can get some minutes under his belt and he's a little bit out of the glare of Chelsea, top six team, Frank Lampard, lots of competition. Do you think that would be a good thing or would be would he be better fighting it out, toughing it out and trying to get himself back into the, the Chelsea starting eleven? Well, I think the number one thing to look at is Chelsea made a big investment in Christian and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that they're looking at that a lot closer than than certainly we are. You know, yeah. from the outside, sometimes it's easy to say, hey, you know, just go play somewhere else. But, mm-hmm. you know, we also don't know how close he is to Frank Lampard's 11. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's not playing for a couple of weeks in a row, it doesn't necessarily mean that Frank is not working in his own way to bring him in because he feels that this is going to be his, 
his player two months from now. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot to look at. Also, you know, the Premier League, as you guys, between the two of you, you've played over a thousand games, if I have that correctly. So you would know better than anyone else. Um, but at the same time, you, so you know how difficult that is. And to go sometimes a smaller club or a club that doesn't have the ball. And I know we talked about West Ham and the way they play, mm. uh, but it's not like they have the ball all the time. And maybe for Christian, it wouldn't be the, the, the best scenario. I, you know, personally for me, um, I, I think Christian is at the right place. I think likely it, it could potentially have been better for him to be at Dortmund one more year and play 38 matches in the season because yeah. he didn't get to play a lot even last year. Uh, so that likely would have helped him more. But look, I mean, we're looking at this from, from the outside, so it's difficult to say. Just finally on, on this, uh, this topic, how confident are you that, that he is going to make it at Chelsea and be a top... I mean, if, if he becomes a regular starter, I mean, me and Robbie are... We weren't good enough to be at that sort of size club, I don't think. Um, Robbie might differ, but I, I, <laughs> no. that, that's a it's, really, we know, yeah. that's a really, really I mean, really, he's a superstar really then, Robin. He it's becomes a superstar. A world superstar. A world, because it's such a hard level. team to get yeah. into. Go on. How yeah. confident are you that, that he can go and achieve that and be a, a regular starter in that team? Well, I mean, how confident are we that any of the other players on the team are going to be a superstar at Chelsea? That's always difficult to say. And when you play, you know, I, I feel the same as you do. Okay, I played, you know, at Real Betis and I played at Tigres in Mexico, but I also felt like I wasn't that kind of player for that level that every week you have Tough, to perform yeah. and every week you have yeah. to be the best. So I think it's, it's a difficult read, but I think it's a difficult read for all the players that go to Chelsea. It's not just for Christian. Mm. Uh, what I can tell you is that Christian is a great player. Uh, and he will be able to do everything that's expected of him, whether that happens at Chelsea and whether that happens as fast as everyone would like for that to happen. That's the question that we don't know about. Mm. Robbie O, should we move it on to the yes, U.S. Sir. men's national team? The national team, yeah. And of course, the disappointments of not qualifying for the World Cup were, were horrendous and a big fallout from that. Greg Berhalter, new coach, a lot of the players that, that didn't were involved and didn't make it to the World Cup have gone for different reasons and retired, et cetera, et cetera. There's a new bunch of players, a new manager, a new philosophy. First of all, on, on the style and philosophy, let's get into that first because a good friend of mine, American friend of mine, loves football, he's a big Liverpool fan, and he always wants the US team to play in a, with a better style, to change it. Let's start from, from developing a new philosophy that this country is going to be known for, an, an identity. Not so much about running power and physicality and longer balls, direct football, but, but technically very good and comfortable in possession. Is that where we're going? Is that where U.S. fans want? Is that what U.S. soccer fans want? And in U.S. soccer themselves, in terms of a new philosophy about how this, this team is going to play in the future? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can only answer that by saying that I, I don't know what fans want and I don't know what, exactly what Greg is, is doing with the team moving forward. What I can tell you is that we have good players to be able to play that way. And I think for what I've seen of the national team so far is that Greg is, is trying to play that way. I know that we've done it on the youth national teams. Uh, we've done well at the World Cups by playing, by playing out of the back and by having more possession than other teams and creating more chances than other teams. Uh, so I think that, you know, the hope is that that translates to having a senior national team down the road that can do the same. Tab, do you, are you saying then that do the men's national team and your end 20 team and we go down to the 17s, 16s, is there a one philosophy that, that's trickled all the way down the system or do you work differently with the groups of players you have with the different age groups 
Well, we we all work the same on the youth national team. Obviously, over the last year, Greg has just come in, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm sure he's going to want to implement some new things with youth national teams that we haven't necessarily seen yet. Um, yeah. But I believe that, that that will be coming. That's how we operated before. That's how we did it uh, with all the youth national teams before. So I expect for that to be the case. Is there Has there been frustrations? I agree with what you say there. And the youth teams over last years have done really well playing, in inverted mm-hmm. commas. Yeah. In the past, the first team hasn't played a lot. It's different. Yeah. And I get that, that yeah. trying to get through tournaments and stuff is sometimes whatever it takes to get through. It sounds like the foundation of the younger players and development and teachings of the coaching there is educating them to play in that style in the past, but it hasn't, it hasn't happened in the first team. First of all, has that been frustrating in the past? And secondly, is that changing now with the philosophy going right through for the, from the youth teams to a expansive, more entertaining, more possession-based style yeah. of the first team? Well, look, I mean, we can sit here and say exactly how we want to see the team. And, you know, tactics sometimes are, are really easy to do on paper. At the end of the day, you need real quality and you need proven quality on the field to be able to play the way you want to play. Uh, so it's easy to draw it up mm. and say the ball's going to go from here to here to here, like victory, right? Pele doing the dribbling <laughs> through everybody. This is how you do it. But at the end of the day, you need real quality. And I think, you know, it, I think it depends on the opponent. And I think for us to... You know, to sort of to, we have to be able to manage those expectations because it's certainly not the same uh, playing against Cuba this Friday than it would be if we had to play uh, a game against uh, Germany and Germany. Um, I'm not sure that our style would necessarily be the same. Again, I'm not speaking for Greg or anyone else, but I think you have to you have to be able to manage your expectations according to the quality of the players that you have at a certain time and the matchups that you have against another team. Tab, you, you talk about quality and beyond Christian, um, you know, look at the list <clears throat> of Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Tim Ware, Josh Sargent, all playing, you know, a, a good level of football. It feels like there's a, there's, a, there's a growth of talent coming through. It's obviously coming under your, your watch and then you pass them on in, into the first team. Surely, like every generation, this, this starts to feel a little bit different. The, these players are all can play in different systems, comfortable on the ball, technically very good, tactically smart. How do you see the, the, the future of, of youth development onto your level of under-20s, onto first-team football? I mean, you've given them all the compliments that I would have given them, and that's after mm-hmm. coaching them. I think that's a really good sign because I do believe in all those players. But yeah. in the end, it's not so much what they've already done, but what are they doing now? So in other words, if you're going to go, as we said before, play Germany, but let's change it. So now we're going to go and we're going to play England. And when you play England's first team, where is every single player that's playing in England's first team? They're likely on a team that's playing Champions League every week. And where are our players? So I think that the young players, they all have the quality to be there. But I think what's important is what they're doing at their club uh, to bring to the national team. Just on, on that a little bit again, in terms of expectation now, I don't know how you feel, Robbie, but I've watched nearly every game under Greg Berhalter with the U.S. Yeah. men's national team. And I've liked what he's tried to do. Just, mm. just purely sitting down watching it in terms of the style, the expansive part, the footballing part, the tactical part. There's been some interesting moves and philosophies from defenders on one side and, and shifting that I think this looks pretty good. This, this looks really good. And, of course, the results haven't been perfect. Mm. But when you consider that it's a bunch of new players that's come into the team, a lot of younger players, a new manager, I think the criticism that the manager's got 
and the team has got in recent performances and losses that nobody wants to see the team lose. But I'm a little bit shocked, Ab, of, of how much criticism the manager and the team has got where I'm looking at it from my eyes, in my opinion, I see good things. I see things that if I'm a fan, I want to see my team try and do. And I get, of course, different opponents will give different problems and your, 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 the game plan will be a little bit different. But the philosophy and what he's trying to do, and I saw him coach at Columbus Crew and, and to some great, to great effect at times when I watch games, do you, do you get frustrated that the social media and the, the I don't know, the critiques um, and the pundits in the US give the manager and this team a hard time yet it's just new and it's trying to change style philosophy and a whole new playing staff yeah well I mean it can get frustrating but that's that's sort of the way it always is right I mean that you're always going to get criticized because had you had you won those games like people would likely be saying well how come you didn't get more goals how come you didn't have more shots how come you didn't keep the ball longer, have possession longer, or limit the other team to less shots. So you're always, you're, you're always going to be dealing with that. So the best thing you can do is not listen to a lot of that and focus on your work. One of the things that I've seen with the senior national team is that it clearly has a way. Uh, the players are understanding that way, and hopefully that happens soon, uh, and hopefully we see the results of that. I think it's important as well, Robin, you make the point that, that when – you've got young players, when you've got a new manager trying things, the most important thing the manager can give in that group is confidence. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes trying to do the right things. But if you believe in what you do, yeah. you, you, you have to continue. Um, and, and social media is, is a platform for criticism. Nobody really wants to go on social media and say how brilliant you are. Most <laughs> people will come on and tell you how bad you are. There's a certain group of people out there who, who want to critique matches and it's like the boo brigade they just want to put negative stuff out there and it seems to you know give, give them higher uh, social media following and, and bigger rants and, and at the end of the day this is about trying to get the best of, of US football and, and trying to develop young players and give them an environment where mm. they can improve in the football do, do you feel tab of what's happening right now it's more in keeping, it's more in a linear flow of, of the youth team style, the philosophy, the technicality of the players that the current manager right now or the first team is trying to bring in. And is it something that, you, that you're enjoying to see? Even though it's, it's going to be difficult, yeah, of course it's going to be difficult, is it the way that you would kind of prefer to see it done? Well, it's, it's different. It's certainly different. I think, though, that, that the style of play sort of should benefit the type of players that we're moving up in our system. Right. They're all players that are very comfortable on the ball, players who want to have the ball, players who are aggressive and obviously not, not in, a, in a dirty way address, aggressive, but aggressive in terms of focus, aggressive in, in terms of being prepared for a play and being, you know, being zoomed in and what they have to do next. So... I think long term it will benefit the players because they're they're used to that and uh, you know but in the end obviously senior national team will always depend on results. Mm. Just Rob, just before we move on to a couple of players that are retired, I just want to get yeah. Tab's thoughts on on the players that you listed before. These some of these younger guys. Mm. Just give us give us your take on, on who excites you the most. I know it's difficult to pick one or two yeah. out, but just in terms of which player that you think could really go on and be a, 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 a top player in European football and in the, the national team in terms of these uh, McKinney and Tyler Adams, Tim Weir and, and Josh Sargent? Well, I think I'll start with Tim Weir because that's someone that I had most recently in this World Cup and I think he's truly a special talent. I mean, he's got, he has so much, 
He has so much speed. He has great technical ability. He can receive in space and turn well with a man on his back, which is a quality that we haven't had many players uh, with in the past. We've always been able to develop that midfielder with skill, um, but we've never had that forward that can beat you on on speed down the line, but can also check and come back and receive with a man on in turn. Uh, and he has all the qualities for that. He's truly a special talent. Uh, so I really believe in him down the road. Um, you know, the other the other players that you, you're talking about, Josh Sargent is now starting to break into the starting lineup at Werder Bremen, which mm. is not easy for, you know, we, we're still talking about a 19-year-old here. So mm. I know expectations are huge, mm. um, but the fact that you're starting for a that's big right. club like this in Germany, that that's that's the real deal. And so I, I believe that Josh, you know, he's a great finisher. He's strong for a number nine. I moved him up to play the U20 World Cup when he was barely 16, you know, 17. So... I, I, he's the only player that I moved up sort of three wow. age groups to play wow. because I thought physically he could do it. And I think, I think at, at the end of the day, I think Josh will be one of those players that we'll look at for the long term. Um, you know, uh, McKinney is a player that at Schalke has been pretty much starting now for the last two years. He's also, uh, you know, he's a player that's barely 21 years old uh, and has been doing a good, a good job for a club that plays in, in sort of an... In, an industrious type of team that Schalke is. That's a very hard battling German Bundesliga team. He's not the easy touch and move type team, and he's and he's doing quite well in a number of different positions where they've used him. Um, and then Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams is uh, just has this special ability where. Um, I feel that the field being 120 yards by 75 is almost too small for him. Like, he can just run. He's the only player that I've coached where, you know, in training sessions you normally have to push certain players. And Tyler Adams pushes himself. I've heard Tyler yell on the field to himself, come on, Tyler, you can do this. <laughs> so it's like a, it's an absolute talent that I think is a, is a no-miss talent for down the road. Unfortunately, this year he's had a lot of injuries, but I think – I think he uh, he's starting to train now back with, with Leipzig, and I think he will be a great one to, to follow. Tab, you're talking about some players there, very much hopefully the start of what's going to be a long career. We've had this week two American greats who played their final matches uh, the past weekend. Players you know worked with uh, under your, when you were with Jürgen during the 2014 World Cup, Tim Howard and Demarcus Beasley. Can, have you just got a word to say about them and, and, and what was their most defining personality most defining character that that made them the players they were yeah so uh, with tim howard um i i played with him when he first came up uh to play professionally in in mls uh and i actually remember being there the first game he ever played uh, which was kind of neat. You think about it now, the type of career that he has, and I'm not sure that I should start crying about how old I am. <laughs> but, uh, but it's been, uh, he's a true, uh, he's a special person. Uh, he's had a huge impact uh, in the game in this country, and that's, that's, that goes beyond, I think, soccer. I think he's been able to attract fans into the sport. That's an amazing quality because when you have that, you know, you have very few athletes that have that type of charisma that bring people to the game. He certainly has been one of those and, and, and one of the greats that will be remembered uh, forever. Uh, and, then, and then DeMarcus. I mean, I mean, what person in the world who has ever met DeMarcus Beasley would not smile when they Absolutely. say his name? I mean, uh, he's, he's truly as special as he's always been as a player. Um, I think he's 10 times that as a person, and I think he's had an amazing career. And I think if, if, if you were going to tell me someone has played the most World Cups, I don't know how many he's played, like 
seven or something. <laughs> but uh, I, I would Full want it. I would want it to be him because I think he's so deserving of of having some sort of accolade. Um, because if you know Demarcus, you know that he's never reaching for that or never wanting for that. And I'm glad that something like that has come his way because he's a he's he's a true legend of do, the game. Do, uh, here, here, I totally agree with that. And do, do you think, like, especially compared with the likes of Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey, do you think he's been underrated? In general, what he's done in his career? Um, absolutely. But I think a lot of that has been just the way he's wanted it. You know, like he's that type of person. He's always flown under the radar. And I think he's been just as important as anyone else. Tab, it was brilliant to hear from you from two greats. Absolutely. It's been brilliant to have you in uh, on the show. Thank you very much. Nice to have somebody talking some sense rather than muscle that I usually <laughs> have. But um, listen, now, that was a brilliant insight into the state of play of US soccer. And in the words of Tab Ramos, we'll see the best of some of the young talent in this country. Because if anyone knows, Tab knows. We're going to take a break now for international fixtures. We'll be back on match week nine in the Premier League when Manchester United face Liverpool in one of the biggest games of the season, wherever the two teams are in the table. But for now, I'm Earl, he's Musty, together with the two Robbies and Ramos for today. Thanks for listening, and it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night. Good night. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.